special episode. Special uh, episode. Uh, <laughs> of movie mumble. Although this is more special than usual, it is a special guest episode. No special guest whispers. All right. Nope. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Leave me hanging there. three words. There's only two of us. There's I'm the third up. one. <laughs> you, don't, you don't condone our... Yeah, I wanted to let you know. Exactly. Anyway, welcome everybody to a special guest episode of Movie Mumble. Typically your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast. Now brought to you with one little extra bonus between normal episodes. Uh, the standard format is that the three of us, uh, your three standbys, take turns picking movies, watching them, and talking about them. But every so often, we like to get a special guest on hand and have them bring a movie to us uh, to help broaden our horizons a little more, bring in films we wouldn't otherwise think about, and just get some fresh new perspectives on what we're watching. Uh, I'm your host, Scott Murray. I am joined, as always, by my two stalwart comrades, Joel Lewis Howdy. and Tim Gerard. Hi. And our very special guest for this episode is Zeke Perez. Hey. Zeke is a Nerds That Geek writer, staffer, talent extraordinaire. He has <laughs> done a lot of work for the website. You've probably seen him on there already. Or rather, seen his work, I should say. <laughs> uh, he's done coverage with Denver Pop Culture Con when it was Comic-Con. He's mm-hmm. done sports. He's done comics. You really do a little bit of everything. Yeah, and yeah. I try. try to keep it... Uh, varied, I guess. Yeah, to this good. day, one of my favorite things I've ever read is your play-by-play of the history of the Water Boy. You, you, <laughs> you talked about Bobby Boucher as if he was an actual <laughs> prospect, and it was just perfect. I was wondering, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for agreeing to join us. Yeah. We're very glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned, typically we pick a film, we watch it, we talk about it, and um, you know, the whole goal is to explore a bit. That doesn't mean we don't withhold any spoilers for any of the films we talk about. So if you're worried about that sort of thing, please go watch the film first. Uh, Joel reminded me to say that this time. <laughs> I've been forgetting it, but it is more relevant than ever. So All the films our... before this were spoiled. <laughs> well, this is one of our newest films. That's true. Close, closest to release date mm-hmm. that we're recording. So Zeke brought us the delightful Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, so Zeke, this is your show. So if you want to tell us a little bit about... Uh, I guess a little bit about your love of film in general, but specifically about Yale Royale, how it came to be in your life, and why you chose it for this episode. Sure. Um, so I think, you know, when, when you guys invited me, I know uh, when I walked in here hearing a lot of your guesses about what I would have picked would have been a sports movie, uh, maybe The Waterboy, maybe Space Jam, Back to the Future, which is not a sports movie, but a movie I love. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I wanted to keep it a little bit different and... Uh, it went with a movie that I saw very recently. I mean, like you mentioned, it only came out in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in and out of theaters, rented it with my fiance Natalie over break, and uh, we loved it. It was one of those movies that about 10 or 15 minutes in, I just knew I loved it, and mm-hmm. I kind of, at the end of the movie, made myself the self-proclaimed uh, president of the El Royale fan club. <laughs> it's now my mission to get this as many Oscars as I can, so I'm going to start with this podcast. Um, it's On just the a campaign trail. <laughs> exactly, and this is the kickoff of the campaign, so thanks for joining me. Um, no, but yeah, it was just one that I love the visuals, I love the soundtrack, the story is great, uh, and back to the in and out of theaters, right? I think it was one, when I revealed it today, everyone was saying wow I you know that was one I meant to see or I wish I saw it and that was kind of how I felt after I saw it um, so yeah it just felt very recent and yeah, absolutely I, you're right about I think I saw a trailer when it was basically leaving the first run theaters and had already been in the discount theaters for a right. while 
I don't know what happened with that advertising campaign, but I think it maybe let the film down a little. It seemed to sleep. I, mean, I remember seeing the, the trailer like ages ago. It's like, could Winx this out? And it was out and it was gone. Like, right. So glad we got to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> Way to so. knock it out of the park. <laughs> try. Yeah. Listeners, at the end of this, you get to vote and see who Zeke replaces on the podcast. He's just so awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be me. <laughs> it's going to be me. <laughs> this guy thinks he's Justin Timberlake over here. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, yeah like, like, thank you so much, Zeke, for bringing it. We, I think we all enjoy it pretty darn thoroughly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a rare unanimous <laughs> decision over here. But not really. It, it, I something I will say I did appreciate about the the trailer I saw was that it didn't give away much about the film. Mm-hmm. As I, I think a lot of trailers today give away way too much in their attempt to build hype and excitement. And El Royale did not. It just this is the hotel. It is split down the middle by California and Nevada. Here are these people, and then we saw some bits and pieces of the film that were enough to tell us that a lot of these people weren't who it, bleh, weren't who they were supposed to be. You know, weren't who they said they were, and that they all had secrets. And then that's it. That's the whole trailer. Done. And like, perfect. That's all I need. I'm interested. Get me there. Don't spoil anything. And right. oh man, it went all over the place. Yeah. The plot, it just, at places I never would have even guessed at. But not in like a, a disorganized way. The way it, it's structured is these, these different vignettes and this, the different perspectives. And it just, that piecemeal narrative just heightens the tension for each time and we go back a little bit. It, yeah. It's. That, that very last one, management office, right? Oh. Or uh, whatever it was Maintenance, oh, maintenance office. office. Yeah. Maintenance, thank you. Oh, what a flashback. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, man. Goodness. There's almost too much to talk about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember saying, it's like, this is like Wes Anderson had a baby with uh, Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And then there's some Jim Jarmusch. It reminded me a lot of Mystery the Train. The cinematography was very Guy Ritchie, I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll hop in now, and yeah, uh, I'm please. also the president of another fan club, and it's the Drew Goddard fan club. He's the creator of this, the writer-producer, and he's described it as a passion project. And so after watching it, I went back to see what else he had done. Um, yes, yes, tell us, yeah, So, so sure. Cabin, in the, Cabin in the Woods is one. Oh, um, wow. Oh, that's okay. kind of the yeah. big one, the big movie. Uh, he was also did a lot on Buffy, uh, Alias, Lost. Those I'm not familiar with, but the big one for me is Daredevil. He was the showrunner for Daredevil. Get out of uh, here. Yeah, so it, you okay. know, it hit close to home for me, right? And, yeah, I thought I recognized oh, shit. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? And so episodes one and two he did. Then he was pulled off to do a Sinister Six project, which got canceled. Mm. But uh, he was really a driving force on that first season. And I don't know, I mean, I love Daredevil, yeah, so no it worked out here. He also went to the um, University of Colorado, so let's okay. go Buffs. Look at oh, you! Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I don't know, big fan. I mean, seeing what he put together Had here. Had I known all this information, this would have been a, a, <laughs> right, an yeah, easier guess. Clues, right? <laughs> Somehow related to Colorado, had something mm-hmm. to do with Daredevil. Right. That's awesome. It's interesting, he's done so much television work. And I you mean, Cabin in the Woods, of course, but mm-hmm. I, especially... This felt like a director's passion project. Yeah. Like other films I've seen, like some of Edgar Wright's later films, things where the directors have made the name for themselves and mm-hmm. get to just sort of sit down and do the thing that they've been stewing on for six years right. or 10 years or 50 years, you know? And, and it, it was great for it, much better for it. You could tell it was made with meticulous care, but it it really held together so well. I, I guess just for someone so used to working in television, it didn't, I don't know, I, I've, I've felt that jarring shift before when you go one way or the other. Mm-hmm. 
didn't feel like that at all here. That's the thing. Like, it does natural. feel episodic in a certain sense. Yeah. But that doesn't... That Much d- like doesn't Tarantino's right. films, sure. Yeah. This is... What I was going to say... But the way say, they, you know, no, weave together into one coherent single piece, mm-hmm. it feels more like a layer cake. Yeah. Than a... <laughs> I, I Here's know. half a cake now, and you're never getting the other one. Yeah. Um, I've had trouble with Tarantino films. I have to see them twice. Zeke and I actually yeah. established this rule: is <laughs> I have to see a Tarantino film twice before I can have an opinion about it, because I end up loving him after the fact. So that's it, fair, though. There's so much that happens in the beginning that's affected right. by the end. But that's the thing with his you time jumps; they seem a lot more jarring. It doesn't. It, this seemed like the solve for me. Like mm-hmm. if Tarantino did this, I'd be, I'd be swinging. Yeah. Like this, this was. Really interesting, and it just gave you a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit back, a little, like the way it dealt with time was really effective. That's it's really good. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it always jumped back, and then when it would do a flashback, like the scene would always end kind of where you left off. Right. So it kind of brought it, like kind of like Memento in a sense, yeah. you know, where it was like every time you're like, wait, what's happening now? Oh, okay, that's how we got there. Wait, what's happening now? Oh, okay, that's how this happened. Okay, you know, and it's like you kind of got that answered very quickly and you get to wrap up each section instead of building a bunch of questions and being like, okay, in one scene we're going to answer all your questions but you're going to forget what your questions were because right. it took so long, yeah. you know. And Joel, I know you asked if I was nervous about you watching it with that Tarantino right, yeah. lens. I was kind of more worried that you would think of it as maybe Arrested Development Season 3, where you kind of see the same scene play out from yeah. someone else's perspective. There's a little bit of that where you start right. to see, like, you know, something happens in this room and you see one person watching it, and then you go back and see how they got there, and then you see a third person watching it. Right. Uh, there's a little bit of that, but I don't know. I mean, I thought the way it's done, it all comes together really well. And see, the distinction I draw with Arrested is, like, that was a clever fix because they couldn't get all the actors in the same room at the same time. So they were trying to solve a problem instead of making the film from that that right. standpoint in the first place. But that's a good analog for sure. Although I not I haven't seen Rusty Development, but what they do really well here is the parts that we see again and again. They they really abbreviated them very well. Yeah, that's so true. we didn't need to sit through the entire scene that was suspenseful and is now. Not because we know what happens. We get the bullet points. Right. You know, we get the glimpse of that character, and then him getting shot, and then oh, okay, we know where things are. But I think it also heightened the tension because when we see the gunshot for like the third time, it's from um, Dar- Darlene's yeah. perspective, and she's scared and she doesn't know what's going on. She's outside and exposed. And the first time was the man getting shot dying. Right. The second time was someone behind the mirror right. becoming collateral damage. So mm. this third time, we're sitting there wondering what's going to happen to Darlene. It's and just and like, the power on each of those shots is pretty amazing. I, I would say there's amazing. no trigger hesitation at all. <laughs> when they pull the trigger, it's immediate. There's no like... Is this the right thing to do? Like, they just kill people. Holy yeah. crap. The characters are determined. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Which is kind of refreshing, honestly. No, for sure. But yeah. that's that's what made it so, like, jolting. It's like, oh, she's not even... Cons- she That guy's dead. John Hamm's dead. Johnny Hamm's dead. <laughs> like, yeah. And it, it was a great, like, multi-layered voyeurism, like, voyeuristic po- perspective. Everyone watching everyone else watch everyone else. Yeah. It, it just... Oh. It... It, and then to touch on the jumping a bit again, yeah. Mystery Train, which we just saw, yeah. which I know you weren't here for, Zeke, with mm-hmm. our last film, is uh, three vignettes, oh, okay. and it takes place over the course of the same night, and all the characters end up at the same hotel. So we get oh, a little bit of that yeah, repeated sure. events, because with the first couple, they wake up in the morning, you hear a bang, and they go, is that a gunshot? Probably. And then that one ends, and we go to the second vignette, and we mm-hmm. even heard a little more. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to the third vignette, in which one of the characters is towing around a revolver, 
ah, oh, yeah, we've seen what's going to happen. That that this, the mystery train worked for you. Yeah. So, although you didn't know that, Zeke, mm-hmm. there yeah, would have been reason there to, that was to not to not sure. worry about <laughs> okay. him being upset about the cutaways. No, it's not. <laughs> One funny moment, and it was probably my second. So this is my second time seeing it, and so this moment was my second favorite part of watching you guys watch it <laughs> my first favorite was when darlene hits the priest with the bottle and oh, seeing how God. shocked everyone was <laughs> uh, when natalie and i watched that we had a very oh shit reaction we were just freaking out uh my second favorite though was when uh the gun's on the floor darlene's telling miles grab the gun and save us yeah. miles is like i can't save any more people and then you get the flashback and joel leans over everyone's just like it keeps going like you're How in the height of everything, this? right? Yeah. Everything's getting flushed out. You've been in the hotel in yeah. kind of the climax scene for a while, and then it pulls back again to give you one more backstory that you didn't get before. Yeah. Um, so it was funny to see the reaction there. And in that moment, I wasn't expecting him to have been in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I was expecting more yeah. of like the covert, like the watching, the watchers kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But that was like, holy shit, it makes perfect sense. That's why he's... He's he's on heroin because he's shell shocked. He's got PTSD. He's trying to handle. And then it. never mind the stuff he did afterwards. Right. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. made everything else feel Hush quaint. Comes on and you get those wolfish howls yeah. at the beginning. Mm. And he was just talking about the story with the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was a badass reveal too. When she says, "How many people have you killed?" 123. I mean, you didn't what? see that coming. <laughs> no. This and is I'm a thinking, shell of a man. And I'm thinking, who was keeping this hotel open that whole time? Right. <laughs> yeah. Been, yeah. Oh man! And that's the thing, like with with that first scene you were talking about, we see him drug her drink. Especially nowadays, it's like, oh, he's gonna rape her, really? Mm-hmm. And it, it, he explains it, and it, it makes more sense, and you don't hate him as much. But it's still, in that moment, you're like, oh fuck this again. And then she brains it with the bottle. That right. was perfect. Oh, so satisfying in that moment. And this one, this movie did a really good job of. Letting you think you knew what was going to happen, and then no, the you don't whole know what's time. Right. Right. there was no sense. Like I didn't know what it was until the very end. It's like, right. like yeah, oh, I haven't seen a film like that, and I can't remember how long. I can't remember what the last one was. I, I mean, I, some of them have done really well. There's the film I horror I really like called The Invitation. That I think we're going to watch on this mm-hmm. podcast sooner or later, but. But that's much more straightforward in, in terms of the horror film keeps you guessing. You know, is it supernatural? Is it not? As opposed to this kind of twisty whose yeah. motivations are for what and what's happening when and what's going to happen next type of thing. Right. That's the thing. I kept yeah. waiting for like the CIA to show up because that's the tension building too. The like, FBI, how are they going to yeah. ex- this priest and this singer are? <laughs> there's a kid laying in blood on both state lines, and there's all this cash and like. How do you explain that? <laughs> He's right in the middle. No, and that was such a great... Oh. And th- that was another sense of tension that was never there. And then Hemsworth coming as a Charlie Manson analog. Just mm. holy shit, he was good in this. I want to watch that movie. I want to watch that character some more. What right. a twisted, charismatic... So, yeah attractive like oh so, so to good. go off of that yeah and first a fun fact that i found out again while researching so the movie hemsworth filmed before this was infinity war mm-hmm. and to play this role he had to drop 25 to 30 pounds of muscle and so looking at him here and seeing how jacked and ripped he still is after losing 30 pounds of muscle is a thing that makes me very jealous so i just wanted to get that out there uh but to his character i don't know i was surprised when i was reading a lot of reception about this movie or you know what people thought 
Um, one of the big things, people didn't really like the last act, and they didn't like Hemsworth as a villain. They thought they kind of dwelled there too long. But I I really liked him, and I liked how they build up the the mythos of him before he even showed up. Yeah. Yes. You get a little snippet of him. Mm-hmm. And the snippet he, on the beach, the right. snippet in the house. Mm-hmm. And then Rosie's saying creepy things like, it's not up to us, it's up to someone else. Who's and it up to? we know it must be who she exactly. called the phone, but now suddenly he's not just some abusive boyfriend. Right. He's... God. Well, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> who, who knows? I, I can see that. I can see why people wanted the film to just resolve with the guests in the hotel and the sure. intrigue, mm-hmm. and suddenly bringing in this outside force that just hijacks everything mm-hmm. might have been uncomfortable, but I, I thought that was great. Again, as another turn in the road that you didn't see coming of, right. oh, you thought this was just about these people in hotel rooms and the little secrets they were keeping. No. <laughs> Much more than that. Right. Yeah. That's the, it feels it feels like a very of the time. It's like snippets of all the things going on at that era. I love that it feels almost it's hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Because I was almost as surprised by his Vietnam bit by oh, so Vietnam's been around a while right. as I was by anything else. Right. Because the decor is is just weird. Yeah. <laughs> um there are televisions, sure, but they're all still tiny and black and white. We see Nixon talking, but we don't know if it's a debate where he's, like, competing against Kennedy. Right. Or if it's, you know, a, a press conference or what it is. Just, he, he was in the political sphere on TV for a long time. And, and you know, the cars are from, everyone has a different car from wherever they got their car from, all the guests. So every so often you get this other little piece of that whole overarching era. Right. You know, decade spanning, two decade and a half spanning almost. Mm-hmm. It really is a love letter to the 60s, almost, mm-hmm. uh, from happy things, right? Uh, you know, Motown and staying yeah. in a motel to cult leaders and political problems. Yeah. Hoover spying yeah. on everybody mm-hmm. under the sun. Oh, did, oh I just got this. So, <laughs> John Hamm is a vacuum cleaner salesman? Hoover? And, <laughs> and, and he's a cleaner for the FBI? And he's a cleaner for Hoover. <laughs> That's... It's almost not so subtle. It hurts like that. It's like I see what you did there. That was a great. I watched John Hamm do anything because that that whole act. Watch him make a sandwich. Yeah, for sure. Ham sandwich. (laughs) That was ham fisted. You're welcome. Now I've done it too. But no, that whole charade he puts on as the the salesman, and then he drops it when he calls his daughter. Mm -hmm. It was so cool to watch him like discover somebody else's phone tapping this place. Beautiful because a it gives the viewers uh, an insight into what's going on, but b. If that didn't happen, there was this weird sort of nod from him to Miles a couple of times in the check-in scene mm-hmm. that almost made me think he knew him and was, like, pretending mm-hmm. to be someone else. So then when it turns out that he doesn't know what all this other wiring is, he, he didn't know Miles at all. Like, that would have been the end of it. Oh, Miles' management is just another FBI branch. Oh, nope, we still don't know. See, and we I never also, got that answer. I also got that sense with, like, he, I thought he knew the priest. Right, I thought he knew Jeff Bridges' character. It's like oh, you fire. shouldn't be here. Yeah, and then he—it's—that's all guilt. He's all projecting mm-hmm. that rather because seeing the yeah. trailer, I assume that Jeff Bridges was a bad, bad man. Because in the trailer, he's like, "I'm actually not a priest," and yeah. it's really sinister the way that it's framed in that. And so I was, I was anticipating there being like this was his murder hotel because you see that sequence of him taking up the floorboards in the trailer. And yeah. You don't know if that's like where he's buried bodies or what it's. It was. I really liked that that the way they framed the trailer didn't ruin it, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. It's 
Tim, had you seen the trailer? You came in completely cold to this, right? Yeah, I, I, I think I was aware of it somehow. I think was this the movie that I thought it was about the hotel from uh, John Wick? Or I feel like yes, because we talked about that at work. But wasn't it, was there another movie about a hotel though? Because I remember Hotel Artemis. Yeah, that's the one. Then that's the one that. I oh thought was, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Did anybody see that? Was it any good? I didn't. I. I mix up Hotel Artemis with Molly's Game. Oh, because they came out right about the same, the same time. time. And they both had big leading lady figures, gotcha, right? Um, gotcha, gotcha. Didn't they? <laughs> Hotel Artemis? I didn't see either yeah. of them. So I think that's what I thought this was. Right. Mm. But, so yeah, so I, I, I didn't see nothing about this. I didn't know this existed before this. Mm-hmm. You went in completely blind. Yeah. Despite your snazzy new glasses. Right. <laughs> you look at your it's a real shame our viewers are never going to get to lay eyes on you. Yeah. <laughs> or listen, Sorry. I should say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're welcome to us. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the fun things, and I was trying to draw other connections. You know, I've done this before with other things, but when uh, we were going to get food, I was talking to Joel about this. And I was like, oh, was this, was this movie based on DC Comics? Because I'm like... Chris Hemsworth's character is like the Joker, and then Rose is Harley, and then we've got Two Face, who when he gets half his face blown yeah. off. So I was trying to think, like, are there any other characters that I could sort of like maybe be like, oh, this is so and so, and I haven't been able to yet, at least. But um, that was one of the the sort of fun little takes I was taking because, like, yeah, I felt like Chris Hemsworth definitely like a chaos type of thing, you know, yeah, like for sure, you know, with the the idea of like the chance pick red or black, you know, which you know those are Harley's colors too. So it's just kind of like, huh, you know, and. Um, you know, when he was doing the whole cult leader thing, it wasn't, you know, there was that sense of, like, you know, he was kind of a- approaching kind of good and evil and right and wrong as things, like, outside of himself. You know, it's like he wasn't saying that he was good and he was God or whatever. Yeah, like, it, it was started like, with this, this talk about, things. oh, they make you pick all these sides when, in fact, the sides are made up by them and then they're mm-hmm. stealing from you. But that that mask didn't even stay on for the duration of his speech. Right. You know, his, his pretense fell away pretty quickly. It's an interesting subjugation. I think it's Rose. She, she doesn't play the game. She's like, I, I choose neither. It's like, come on, I'm trying to... Yes, I get that you have been converted. Can we work on these other people, please? <laughs> that was a great moment. And then when Darlene fucking just, like, smashes it to bits, that... That speech she delivers about oh my it's God. probably about a guy who talks a lot, mm-hmm. talks so much that he thinks he has something to say, <laughs> and he's just he just wants to fuck who he wants to fuck, mm-hmm. and I'm bored by it. Like, but, but even better than when he goes, actually, it's, and she's like, nope, no, I don't, I've I don't heard care. it. Yeah. I'd rather listen to the rain. <laughs> what a great, oh, so and good. And he, he was left just sort of speechless. Was like. I don't anything else I can say. She's she, bored. She's done. Almost yeah. respected it. She he was like, yeah. "Yep, that's yeah." And then he tries to get her back with having her sing and then cutting her off with that was the most sinister roulette oh. wheel of all time. That spin in the oh, that was such See, a great sound. The villain that he made me think of was uh Sugar from No Country for oh, Old Men. Just yeah. someone's mm. life being left up to chance. Yeah. Uh, a little less directly, but still enough where I kind of drew that conclusion. Yeah. Mm. Much better hair on this guy, though. <laughs> and abs. <laughs> and abs. <laughs> no less sinister, just more attractive. <laughs> I think he was shredded like Fight Club Brad Pitt. Like right. that was. There was a lot of him that reminded me of Brad Pitt in this. Yeah. Like, you know, even like even the, the way, way he like delivers around. certain lines yeah. and everything. And the only man who could peel off that mustache, I have to say, that was hold up. <laughs> I have some strong feelings about the Hemsworth after this. 
I think inadvertently we've already kind of jumped around and talked about how great all of the cast was. No, essentially, uh, Miles, the the attendant, that's Bill Pullman's son. And oh, really? I think this is his wow. first big thing, but he's fantastic. Well, he can look uh, forward to a lifetime of people wondering if he's Bill Paxton's son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we get, you mentioned Darlene, um, Cynthia Riva. I mean, I'll watch a whole movie of her just singing no. in, in a hall. That's one of my favorite shots of, of probably 2018, maybe up there forever. But just when they first discover the hallway... When John Hamm's slowly walking up and down the hallway, and he leaves, the, he, yeah, he leaves yeah. the sound on, and you hear her singing, just back and forth, and it's just so haunting. She's such a great singer. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about that scene. And that's the thing. Like when you see her, when I first saw her, is like she put up. She's soundproofing the room. Is she gonna kill somebody too? Is there nobody who's like morally uh, right in this? Like is she all? And then you don't know what she. She's got the metronome. Okay. Maybe she's a musician, and then it's silent. You don't see what she, and then that click but, on is so good. Insane, and it's almost like looking through the, the film mm-hmm. as he's going from the room to room with the black space, and it's just, uh, uh, film yeah. referencing film as a medium like, yeah, in that is like just. Those, that film role of looking at scene by scene, you know, frame by frame by frame. See, and it wasn't overly gory like Tarantino is. It wasn't no. overly pretentious like Wes Anderson mm-hmm. was. <laughs> this is just like. And that that was what my worry was watching is like there's a, I feel a lot of ter- like other directorial influences in it. I'm like is this just gonna feel derivative and tired? No, he took all the best pieces and made something really cool. Like it, oh, it was so good. I agree with that. I, I, that's another thing that I've seen in reviews of this. Uh, I saw the word arrogant multiple times, and people saying it's arrogant either because of the the runtime. You know, it was. It's a long movie, two, okay, two yeah. hours, 20 minutes. I, but they, Almost you, everything I've watched lately felt longer than this. Right, and that's the thing, much. right? Is You know, you can have a, a one-and-a-half-hour movie that one feels super long, or, yeah, like or a two-and-a-half two that feels super short. Yeah. So I didn't think it was arrogant in that sense. There were yeah. a lot of people that said it was style over substance and arrogant in that way, that yeah. it, it was too much of a looker and it didn't do anything, but I didn't agree with that either. So it's good yeah. to hear that, uh, that yeah. That's, admittedly, that's part of why Movie Mumble is a thing, is that <laughs> I, at the end of the day, film criticism can only ever be opinion. Mm-hmm. True. There are certain bits that can be fact, sure, but for the most part, the film is always going to be fine in terms of the, those objective pieces. They're going to be, at worst, fine. Mm-hmm. The rest is all going to be taste. And we wanted to you know, talk about our own tastes a bit and expand them a bit, mm-hmm. but we also always hope to be a little more clear about what we do and don't like. I, there have been some films that some of us have seen, not liked the first time through, and then liked the second time. The Matrix, Tim's favorite film, was one for me. That just never caught me, ever. I've watched it mostly on TV, but I don't know how many times. And we sat here and watched it all together with my friends, like, being excited about it, and I just, that was it. That was all the magic I needed, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's part of why we're here. You guys it's, did the same with uh, Blade Runner. Because Tim had seen it eight, ages ago, rewatched it for 2048, mm-hmm. and then we watched it for the podcast again, and he was converted. Mm-hmm. I just need to fix The Shining for you. And <laughs> well, I'm, I'm on board for that one, too. So. <laughs> no, yeah, we'll go again. I'll, go, I'll give it again. That could be a cycle, a take-two cycle. <laughs> yeah. Watching this one again. <laughs> Tim, I, I feel like this is another podcast we can talk about diegetic versus non-diegetic music. I know, yeah. First thing right? I thought of in the opening shot, right. when he turns the radio on, and right. the music is, you know, from the radio... Presumably he's hearing it, but then we see him do a bunch of stuff over the course of many hours, right. and it's like, oh, okay, now it's for but us. But there's that, <laughs> but there's also the fact that Ham is listening to her sing 
but she's only singing for herself. She doesn't know it's for an audience. So he's controlling oh. that the score of the movie in that sequence, and he's mm. moving through it, and he's the one that turns it off. So it's like a, a, a whole other layer to that. Like <laughs> I feel right, like yeah. and the the score of the actual orchestra comes in with the scary music before she's finished singing. Right before he switches her off, mm. and we get this weird dissonance against each other, and then he switches that off, and we go into full dark stock mode. Yeah. Ugh. I also liked a tiny detail that when John Hamm is finding that corridor and he looks at the boxes and he looks down and is like, he sort of reaches out and like finds a switch. It only takes a moment because it's a pretty simple box, but he's clearly looking at it for the first time. And then when Miles and, the, and Jeff Bridges are back there, Miles reaches over and goes, click, because he's done it a million times. Mm-hmm. That, was just, that was a nice little touch, I thought. The, the director, I'm sure, kept in mind for both yeah. of them to say, you know, you've done this a million times. Make it natural. Mm-hmm. You yeah. haven't. Look for the switch. <laughs> That's a good catch, yeah. Well, even just like in, in the pacing of the film, too, that the first time it's there, there's time spent looking for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had done those scenes reversed, where it's like, here it is, click, and then seeing him look for it later, it's like, oh, the switch is right there. Like, we know that yeah. now. So, like, to kind of. And similarly, John Hamm taking his time to wander around the place, if we'd already been down there with Miles and in and out, mm-hmm. you know, we'd be a little less intrigued. Right, yeah. But, yeah, that was presented well. Well. How is this? How is there still music from the '60s that I hadn't heard, but now seems like necessary to my being? Like, <laughs> what are you? I in like, particular? I, I I can't even remember like the lyrics to them, but it's like some of the interstitial ones that I hadn't heard before. I'm just like, and I forgot how good that Deep Purple song is. Oh yeah, and I forgot it started with wolves. That was yeah. fucking auspicious as hell. <laughs> yeah. I liked that. Um, and I, I guess I'll have to check on another watch, but with the. I think it's the purple. The bit where the, the jukebox slides the record back into place. It's record number 20, but the stack of records, the boxes, and the numbers, they alternate red and black. Yes, they do. Oh, I know that like, too. I was wondering yeah. whether yeah. the ball lands in oh, black 20 cool. in the scene in earlier than that, that when cool. he you know, awesome. ends up shooting Emily. Maybe not 20, but I just, I like the right. and red juxtaposition. Yeah, I, yeah, I have to check the numbers. That was a great kind of interstitial, like, breaking stuff up as the records are switching. That was <laughs> yeah. just very yeah. satisfying to watch. Another layer to that, too, is that when Rose is picking out the song, she kind of hovers around 19, mm. 20, 21, 20. Yeah. So, like, oh, you know, was was there some sort of correlation between, you know, with the red and black, and if she had chosen, if she had chosen twenty one, would it have landed on red, and what's his face would have gotten shot instead, you know, like, like you know, that kind of playing God kind of, you know, type of thing. Mm. Yeah, I liked that Miles had had what he needed was freedom out from under the thumb. You know, the whole thing with Vietnam was always made made to kill. Mm-hmm. made to do horrible things and so when finally uh, you know she tells him the sinner says to him you don't need to kill anyone anymore he does because yeah. now it's he's sort of freed and now that he's freed he's willing to do this for the people he's not who, a weapon at that point right. right he has ceased to become a thing and become a person in the eyes of these two people and much like the, the person on the tape you know he was kind to me no one is ever kind to me right. but Darlene and uh, the priest fake priest were that was really interesting. He stands up and kills everybody. Oh my, <laughs> oh my god! Marksman, dude. Yeah, oh, that's a solid action scene no right there. Oh Great release of tension too in that moment because it's like, how are they gonna get out of this? Lights go out. They like that was a great. Oh, it was really satisfying after that tension build. 
I thought it was really interesting with Miles that the only scars he came back from Vietnam were internal. And then in this exchange is where he got his head blown to bits. And, like, he got gutted. Like, she gutted him like a deer. That was Mm -hmm. messed up. That's, like, Hannibal gore with none of the prettiness. That felt, as an audience member, that was upsetting, but as a... Also wasn't. Like, we figured he... They they probably should have shot her, too. While they were busy shooting everyone else. That girl needed to go. Because of what we've seen. You know what she did in Malibu. Right. Which I guess he sort of told them, maybe, we don't... Wait, is, was that... What? Is she the one that killed in Malibu? The yeah, shot of her standing over the body in front of the swing set in the building is the same shot on the news mm-hmm. at the beginning oh. of the film. When they're talking well, about yeah. damn. Bodies in Malibu. But, um, That's a long way So away. we know she's done that. We've also seen the flashbacks that Emily knew, but she's already been on the floor by then. We've seen, you know, we've put the pieces together. And you're going, okay, yeah. yeah, this girl's a psychopath. She's going to kill people. She swapped from the chandelier. But all, all they've seen is her do that. Right. They've seen her climb around and say things and be kind of weird, but not necessarily aggressive. Sinister. And yeah. so, of course, they don't kill her. Because she's the young girl who everyone's been pulling left and, and right. And he goes to, like, comfort her. Like, I understand yeah. I took this from you and I'm sorry, but... Oh, she cuts him oh, for it. God. <laughs> That's another twist... It's a very evident one, but when Emily first brings Rose into the hotel and ties her up, yeah. say, what is this? This is a kidnapping, and that's yeah. what you're led to believe. Then, no, she's just saving her little sister from the cult, and then the little sister's the evil one. Needs to be tied whole, up. Yeah, right. right. There's a whole play on that. Like, like before we, we see the cult stuff, like, she unties her, but the sister doesn't run? Mm-hmm. So that was like... What what is the dynamic here? Like how how is this gonna work? Because she she had like the door open. She was gonna go through the thing and like, are you not gonna what? You tied her up. Like what was the point? Yeah. Like that that was that was a great character dynamic, and you understood it like sp- like really quickly seeing those flashbacks of the abusive father and this is the guardian sister. This is my little sister. I'm protecting her from herself at this point. Like it was. And then she calls on the phone. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, so you yeah. had that in the back. Yeah, is the CIA coming right away? Is that guy coming? Like, where where are these things coming? Oh, That was another great acting performance. I mean, when she's on the phone, she's got the coy little smile, right? You hear the one side of the conversation. Yeah. She says, well, we're at a hotel, and the little smile, oh, you'll come save me more or less, right? right? Yeah. That's not exactly what she says, but... And then, you know, the implication, you're waiting for whoever she called, and you just have to sit there and wait and find out who it is. Now I'm thinking of like Darlene out like seeing John Hamm go from car to car to car, and dis- disabling them right, and then he kicks the door in with a gun. So is she's like, is he gonna kill? Is that what he's doing? Is he killing all of us here? Like the layers of like not knowing the threat and what is a genuine threat. I identified with her very much when she was sitting in her car in Lorraine after yeah. that about. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? What do I do? He's kicking down the door. She was tied to the chair, so maybe he's the hero. But he didn't say about all the cars, so is he an asshole? Is he hunting them? She just shot him, but she had the girl tied up, but she's not retying him. Like, just I just hit the priest in the head with a wine bottle. Right. Right. That's a lot going yeah. on right that's now. That's the point at which you say, I'm leaving. Right. And she tried. She and that's the thing. Tried. She goes back, she goes into that room to get the keys and the cables. Like, that, oh, the, the balls it would take to do that, like... At what point do you just run in the rain away from the thing? Like, I, I And her line when Father Flynn knocks on the window, he's like, let me in. She's like, I will shoot you in the face. Yeah. And she's <laughs> the, easily the most reasonable person no in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
And another scary scene while we're talking about Darlene again mm-hmm. is the second long singing one when she's helping uh, Father Flynn Ooh, dig yeah. up the yeah. boards. Yeah. And you see Emily staring at her through the mirror, right? And by that point, you know, Darlene yeah. knows, Emily knows. And it, and there's the moment when Emily puts the gun down almost like she's going to cock yeah. it. And then Darlene walks away from it. And you're like, is the window, you know, is the mirror about to explode? Is Darlene going to get shot right. right here? And that tension there was one of the most tense moments of oh, the movie yeah. for me. And then you get another yeah. shot of she's like tapping her finger yeah. all against the mm-hmm. trigger in time with, with the, the song. Music, yeah. Holy and, shit. And she doesn't know whether Darlene knows she's being watched at all. Right. right. She doesn't know whether Darlene might care anyway or is just going to sit there and practice her singing. Right. You know, I, she doesn't have the, any clue where the priest might be. What an act. Like how know they've talked to each other. How composed of an actress would you have to be in that moment to like there could be somebody behind that glass to kill me and I've got to sing like it's normal and like that just the layers of that character having to perform rather than the actress playing the character performing at that point just and quick plug for Darlene or Cynthia Erivo Mm -hmm. uh, before she was in the musical adaptation of A Color Purple so she's got a Grammy and she's got a Tony for that and I'd like to make a campaign push to get her an Oscar for this EGOT she's got an EGOT exactly we're two away we're gonna finish it up one one thing that just occurred to me I don't know if this was necessarily like supposed to be foreshadowing or if it was just connecting the two scenes but at the beginning when his brother's burying the stuff and he's hammering the nails in time with the music and then later she's clapping so that he can like you know dig them up so it's just like this nice symmetry of just like oh holy shit that's right they did that at the beginning too and real quick to the brother uh, I mean the Nick Offerman few minutes that he's in here that's also a solid acting performance it was all visual yeah no Mm -hmm. no things spoken it was just body language it reminded me of him in uh, The Founder Mm-hmm. When they're doing the choreography of how you make yeah. burgers, it's just like, yeah, Offerman can hit his mark in time. Uh, like uh, this, uh, uh, this was the right guy. Put for him on a stage. Yeah, yeah, he's so good. And you, you can you get a lot of that because you don't know what what his motivation is, and he's he's on he's coiled and on edge, right? And then he does all that stuff, and oh, it's so good. Sorry, I just no, I didn't like, say a whole lot. I'm saying a whole lot. That was. That was a great opening sequence. And it conveyed so much so quickly. And you, okay, this is where that took place. And it really helped us, helped trick us again. Because we figure everyone in this hotel, someone's here for that money. If not all of them. Right. And that's what this is all going to center around. Right. The money ends up being almost ancillary. That was, was, again, a great stroke. I said, like, keep thinking of this in comparison to, like, Hateful Eight. Like, we know that what the one goal of everybody in Hateful Eight was, right? Mm-hmm. To get Daisy Dahmer group. More or less. Yeah, right. Some, like, some version that, of the that, that was like of get her. That's get all her out, get her mind. dead, and get her to justice. But you don't know who's allied with who or any of that stuff. In this, yeah. it was like you thought you knew, but you didn't. You never knew. And it was just all over. Oh. oh. And to the opening scene again, yeah. the... I noticed more on the second time, just watching it, you know, looking through it as as if we were, you know, the voyeurs in the, the hotel looking into the room. And that was even more blatant to me the second time when Nick Offerman staring into it and doing his hair and getting ready. And, you know, I mean, obviously the first watch, with that being the first few minutes of the movie, that didn't click for me. But the second time, just that much more power, powerful. 
it's the idea that that's that setup, a, a yeah. second yeah, it clicked for me in terms of like oh obviously we're looking through the wall at this guy mm-hmm. when he stood facing us I was like oh I guess there's a mirror on the wall mm-hmm. of the hotel room that we can't see right. sure whatever Right. I yeah. thought nothing of that and then we saw the room with John Hamm and I yeah. went I, I think it was after that but when we came back with Miles and the, and the priest and I went whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second <laughs> we we were actually looking through these before that wasn't right. just the camera shot what's yeah. so interesting about that is like that wasn't filmed, it didn't seem like. Because if it had been, they would have dug that money up, mm-hmm. right? So that like was Miles the thing. said, we, I get a call about a certain guest in a certain room, right. and I put the camera in front of it. And that's the thing. Like They have this two-way, and this place is so sinister. Like Shit could be going off in any one of those rooms, and if you have the one camera pointed at one, you're missing this over here. It's just crazy. What... This reminded me of another movie where microfilm plays a really big role, and I can't remember if it's Catch Me If You Can. I don't remember. Like, there's the microfilm hidden somewhere, and at the end it's like, do you want to know who killed Kennedy? And it's like, it's something that you never know what's actually on it at the end in the same way that that reel of film gets burned, and I can't remember what the movie is. Does anybody? No? It's not clicking right now. Yeah. It's like hidden in a pew, a leg of a pew in a church someplace. I can't. Oh, that sounds familiar. Does oh it, man, <laughs> yeah. No, it does that sound like? I can't remember what it was. It's not Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. I feel like I watched it in a similar time. I don't know. Sorry. I just, yeah. it, it seemed kind of cheap at the end of that that we didn't get to see the microphone, but in this it was like, I'm just thankful to get a lot, get out of here alive with money. We don't need to burn anything else down. There's been enough carnage. You know, she can tell it's it's, it's more trouble than it's worth. That's fair. Because as for why the priest held onto that film, I mean, God knows. He hoped his brother would be on some later part of the film. Or yeah, maybe he wanted to sell it. Whatever. But at that point, he he gives it to her. Mm-hmm. I just you gotta sell it. You gotta find someone who's interested. You gotta hope they ain't gonna kill you right. over it. You know, I, no. Like we've got the money. We're getting the hell out of here. Right. <laughs> he just tosses it. You know, one thing, that, and I don't think the movie ever hints at this, but it would be interesting if the night that that tape was made was the same night his brother was there burying the money. Although, the, the, if the kid did it when he, well, if he came back from Vietnam, he probably, that probably would have been not 10 years earlier. Right. But maybe, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't hold up. Although the hotel was there, maybe there was someone yeah. else doing that dirty work yeah. instead of Miles. I, I wonder if the reason he kept that real was because it was miles in bed with whoever was important. Well, they mentioned that it was a senator. Yeah. Because everyone... You, oh, and you think it's Miles I think with miles the senator. Is, yeah. it might be... Because they were mm. kind to me. Like, mm. But mm. It, it, I, maybe that's stretching because they had said put this in the... Uh, oh, he tell... Oh, shit. It's... Okay, sorry. <laughs> what he says about it is that there was... He, he told the company or the, the management that there was just women no 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 that there, there wasn't, wasn't a woman in that room yeah no I, so caught, maybe, I caught that the first time around maybe it's still like, a homosexual encounter but not with Miles I wish it would Miles I want without, Miles maybe. to be happy but but yeah we and maybe maybe there was a woman and he just decided to lie right yeah maybe it wasn't maybe he was telling the truth we don't know I uh, I love that we never get to find out who right, management is too. That's <laughs> another thing that's just kind of insular, like you said. It, yeah. It's it's incidental. It doesn't it, it doesn't yeah. matter to the plot because yeah. it, it gets burned and yeah. and it's so much bigger in comparison to this one night and this one group of people. It's just like 
yeah, like with all that's going on, you're not going to tear down the system and right. find the person at the top of the conspiracy. You know, it's right. just like, yeah, we have other things to do. How did you all feel about the hotel itself as a character? I was great. I, like yeah, it. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it played a really good role. People like to talk about that's one of those phrases people like to learn and then use on every film. The setting <laughs> as a character, I, but it works here. Yeah, it totally sure. does. I, I love the. They they play with the the state line just enough, like that the first exchange between uh, Jeff Bridges and uh, Darlene is about how do you enjoy how are you enjoying Nevada for the first time like that, yeah. it just plays with it just a little bit enough and then you have the spiel given by uh, Miles. Miles. This is and a then, bi state hotel. Right, <laughs> and then when uh, Emily hears it, she's just. I want this fucking room. Like, I don't want to hear the spiel anymore. Like, I think yeah. it played with that really well. And that the, the actual split ended up being basically irrelevant by the end of the film. Yeah. Because I thought that might be a thing. Like, when, when they talk about it in the trailer, it's like, okay, are we going to see, like, after shit goes down and, like, doling out, okay, what debauchery was on this state line? And how does different that kinds of evil right? in each state, you know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. they just all shoot each other up in that lobby <laughs> on whatever side they're standing yeah. on. I, I love the sandwich max nine thousand or whatever it is. I love that shot too. It, all oh, yeah. the food is like <laughs> rotting in it, but I I like the, the idea of that. Yeah, that that looked really cool, and it, it was so it was like sixties Art Nouveau futuristic. That idea of like this is how the future will be is like this kind of really sleek, yeah. shiny, like not hard edged, smooth edged. It was very Jetsons. It was very cool. I liked that a lot. The other visual I liked was the cabinet with all the keys, and the California yes. rooms yes. have the California keychain, <laughs> yes. the bathrooms yeah, yeah. have the Nevada keychain. We get to see that, that a couple fun. times. I was glad to see yeah. that again when they were looking for the master key. Just really it. leaning into that kitsch. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. That just the the last scene when Miles is on the steps, like right down <laughs> right the between, middle, yeah. and it's like here's the left side of his face all torn up on the, like, the darker <laughs> carpet, you know, and uh, and what right was it, Darlene? Yeah, and she's on that side, and the priest is on the other side. And because just, she's like, going to make duality. her future in Nevada in Reno, yeah. like he was in California, which is where their crime was in Stockton <laughs> in the first place. Yeah, just it just like yeah, like everything kind of split down the middle, just like half and half. It kind of it yeah, it pulled all of the duality that was in the whole film like all together in that one scene. It's like oh yeah, there's good and there's evil, and you're choosing this, and you know, and, it's, and it was just like wow, like that. And that was one of the things when you had mentioned earlier how like the whole like Tarantino and Wes Anderson, and I know how much Wes Anderson like symmetry, right? You know, and it was like I could see him. Being like, yes, I want a scene that's like a Wes Anderson scene, except way more interesting because of it being <laughs> symmetrical in the sense of, you know, um, you know, my feeling on symmetry is why do you need the other side if this side looks just like it in reverse? But to kind of split the symmetry and kind of do like a yin and yang kind of thing was like, yes, that, you know, like, I feel like if Wes Anderson did, well, I feel like if he did more of that, I'd get bored of it. But like that I would appreciate more. But it was just, yeah, like I could like we said with a lot of this he kind of took pieces from everybody and just kind of ground it up and spit it out in this one nice like yes this has the best of everything that was like the the epitome of that for me was just mm. like yes and then him like having him confess to him and like you know so it wasn't just and this throwaway staring, visual either it yeah was just and he's staring very, on like, the unscarred side of his yeah. face in mm -hmm. bright sunny california mm -hmm. yeah but also in the the priest standing on bright like of California on side but in the place where the priest did his crimes where right. his sins come from mm -hmm. yeah. I said that Wes with symmetry B 
because everything is so pristinely placed, it almost it's background, right? It doesn't jump out at you by way of comparison it feels in the way this like does. A set. Yeah, it feels like a set. Feel lived in. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a set for sure. Which serves his films well yeah. with what he's doing yeah. there. Everything is a yeah. particularly arranged place for this really <laughs> snappy dialogue to occur. <laughs> so for the El Royale to be lived in and real in this 3D space, people move through and, and walk around countertops and past benches and, you know, to have that symmetry not be practical, to be something you'd have to work around and through mm-hmm. rather than just look at, was, that was neat. I'm actually super glad we didn't end up going anywhere else in the film either. I mean, flashbacks aside, right. which were all very indistinct, mm-hmm. you know, we just, everything was in the hotel. There was no point at which we left the hotel to go into the woods behind the hotel or off down the street or to the next town or even with an epilogue, except for Reno. And I mean that the epilogue was just, here's where they are now, not here's where the plot's going to actually resolve with a sudden surprise. Right. I, you know, no, yeah. like everything happened in the hotel. When yeah. the hotel was gone, so was so was the story. See, this this feels like what Grand Budapest would be if it met Psycho, like the idea of the, like Grand Budapest and Hateful Eight. Well, yeah, but like just the idea of the the and hotel Psycho, being sure. like Eights, yeah yeah this the, on the way to somewhere because mm-hmm. you don't get the sense of that with Grand Budapest because that. Hotel is the res- it's the destination, yeah. right? Hotel this place. Is the destination. It's the old jet set sort of. Right. This know, is glamour. All these people are like running to or from something, and one of them happens to be there for the reason that they're there. Like there's something there, but it's very. Tr- that's that's what I was thinking when. That's where I expected it to go with Miles's character. Was is he Norman Bates? I said that. Like, yeah. is he use? Is this a murder hotel? Is he killing people? You wanted here? everyone in this right. movie to be a serial killer at one point. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> You definitely suspected them all at that point. It, it's, uh, it's so like I said, it's 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 a combination of all of these influences, but it doesn't feel derivative. It doesn't feel like a rehash. It just it does them all so well, and it, it, it's just this other thing. It uh, it's it's so good. Makes me want to rewatch those episodes of Daredevil because the second one's the first hall fight, mm-hmm. which in the second season there's a really. <laughs> Another really good fight. They're all really the hallway good fights. fights. Just keep getting better. Yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs> I think they made a meme about this. Like I any mean, hallway is like this is. I was weird. literally just about to say yeah. that because the raid and old boy. Yeah. The raid with the baton and knife fight and old oh, boy yeah. with the hammer fight. Oh right, yeah. Both in hallways. Yep. <laughs> it's the new place. The inception where... hallway fight in a hotel. Oh, that's right. As everything turns, <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's like a late aughts. Well, not late because we're only in the teens now. But like, two thousand one to two thousand ten, the hallway is where the fight happens. <laughs> Another movie that I I forgot to mention back when we watched Mystery Train that I feel like is somewhere in in the lineage of this type of film is uh, Four Rooms. Yeah, I was going to bring that up yeah. earlier too. I haven't yeah. even heard of that. Where uh well so it was Tarantino. Yeah, it was Tarantino oh, Rodriguez uh, and cuz each one person yeah. did a room, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know who the other two. Oh, were. yes, I have heard of that. Mm-hmm. In that case, yes. Yeah. I haven't seen it. But. I haven't seen it either. Um but it's I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's I'll say similar for lack of a better term, but mm-hmm. like it's these four hotel rooms and it's um it's a uh, New Year's Eve. And 
it's it's actually one of the the in um, inspirations for that was the the uh, the bellboy with uh, Jerry Lewis. Oh, sweet! So Tim Roth plays a bellboy at this hotel That's on awesome. Christmas Eve, and there are these four rooms that he interacts with, and yeah, so each room is directed by a different person, but they still kind of cross over a little bit. Like gotcha. you see certain events that kind of um, some of them more than others. Um, because I feel like the, the was it the misbehaviors. I don't think there's really much crossover. Yeah, that one seems to be standalone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like with the other three, like like uh, um, Jennifer Beals is in one of the rooms and she ends up in the last room. And then there's one point where, what is it? There's something going on like upstairs in the room he was in, like the one where he's trying to get out and the guy pukes on him oh, from the room yeah. above. But that guy that guy was from some other room or something that kind of ties into another story. But anyway, um, and it's just. Uh, yeah, a, a similar sort of thing. Like, okay, here are these four independent stories that kind of take place at the same time, kind of cross over, and you know, also the fact that like you know we're kind of mentioning like, oh, well, this is so much like Tarantino, and it's like, oh yeah, well, he did one of those rooms and right. kind of you know, and so it's you know, it's again that similar sort of like, okay, let's take a few short stories, put them together, but also make them fit together for a reason, not just arbitrarily. Um, and yeah, certain elements of this definitely reminded me of that, like. Oh yeah, let's have this bellboy, but then let's have him be, uh, you know, oh he's a Vietnam vet and he's a sharpshooter, you know, like <laughs> like working in those, you know, um, not necessarily that four rooms inspired this, but no, I feel right. like it had to be on the radar, you sure. know, with all of that other stuff, you know, like wouldn't it be cool to have a badass version of four rooms, you know, and um, you know the fact that it did start off with like those those four, there were four rooms at first, there were the four people, and it was like, you know, nothing like the rooms that were in the that movie, but. Um, four it was a horror movie, right? What is it? Four Rooms? Is Four Rooms a no. horror movie? No. Okay. No. Mostly a comedy. There, there's some dark moments, but gotcha. it's mostly a comedy. You right. Know. Oh, man. We have to watch Goodbye Lennon, too. Speaking of dark comedy. That's <laughs> on the list. Don't worry. Awesome. I have a number of films that, you know, for Zeke's benefit here, that are mm-hmm. on the list that keep getting bumped <laughs> in favor of other films that have been on the list. Mystery <laughs> Train was like going to be one of my first picks. Mm. And we finally watched it in year two. I made you watch Godzilla. No, no, no. For Godzilla, I was more than happy to push it. I just, but the others, when the time came to actually watch, I was feeling something else, which is how it goes. But yeah, goodbye, Leonard. The invitation. Yep. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll see all of them someday. This is like, this is such a great device for tension building that it's, it's almost horror, and I'm almost wanting this next project to be just this. Horror, though, like yeah. this seems more. <sighs> I mean, Cabin in the Woods, right? That was I've not yeah. seen Cabin so in the Woods. That's Woods. the one that's like. Uh, so wait, did you say he wrote or directed that? Because that was the one that um, um, uh, Joss Whedon was involved with too, right? The yes. one where like they're in the house and they pick something and that determines how the end of the world is going to mm-hmm. go with their whole yeah. I know that Joss, Joss Whedon was somewhat involved with that. I don't know if he yeah. either wrote I or directed it. Goddard produced. Oh, okay. I'll bring it up here in just a moment. We did. Yeah. MDB. Um, but yeah, I remember that, that's, that's being sort of one of my, I don't know if I go so far as to say favorite horror films because I only <laughs> watched it once, but just like, ah, yeah, like yeah. so refreshing, right. so yeah, like, yeah. you know, such a twist. He, he directed as well. Oh, yeah, okay. Drew produced and directed? Uh, or? He directed and then Joss and Drew wrote. Both. Okay. Oh, okay. Nice. Cool. Cool. And another tie-in I had to that was in and this. Chris Hemsworth was in that too. Yeah, that was one of the, the one of the first things. I forgot I he was in that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, but a tie-in to that one from here, uh, I felt a little bit when Miles says, you know, I, I film what they tell me to. Who the management? That felt cabin in the woodsy oh, in the yeah, sense yeah, that there's yeah. these, you know, mm-hmm. this group of people overworking. Yeah, this is faceless. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. 
See, I need to watch. I I've been waiting to watch that one because I hadn't seen any of the horror films that it like inverts the tropes of. Mm. I wanted to have a baseline yeah. before, baseline like, first. so I didn't. Yeah. I got the jokes. I mean, I, I don't know that I've seen any of them, but I I got it. Like, I got what <laughs> gotcha. you're saying. You know, like that. It's like I feel like just being aware of those right. horror films. Like I've I don't know that I've ever seen any of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Maybe the first one, but I get it. I know enough what happens that when they reference, oh, we're out in this lake in this cabin right. in the woods. Like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, there it is. You know, yeah. if you watch any of them, watch three. Yeah, that's what you were saying. If you're not gonna watch any of the other ones, I would watch okay. three. But I say that only having recently. Is that the one you said was the most? true to the stereotypes that it birthed yeah it, that, yeah. that is Jason as Jason appears mm-hmm. but that's that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. so another hotel thought yeah this is a little bit of an aside but uh, oh, the that's what this no podcast is about <laughs> <laughs> all aside it's yeah. all aside anywhere yeah. the movie leads us to talk is great <laughs> great and the movie does directly allude to it when they talk about you know, this used to be a hopping place, and the Rat Pack was here. Right. Marilyn Monroe was here, but it's so that hotel is based on the Cal Neva Lodge, which really it was a lodge, and it did straddle the state lines. There was such a place. There was such oh a place, yeah. Yeah. and, and cool. Frank Sinatra bought it, and Frank Sinatra owned it for a long time. It's almost one of those, uh, and it's tough to top this movie in terms of fiction, but it's almost a truth is stranger than fiction sort of thing. Really, because Frank Sinatra bought it. Uh, there were some problems with the mob. Marilyn Monroe stayed there and they like shut her up in the room for like a couple weeks and they only let like one guy come see her and she attempted suicide and there's just this whole like twisted story to the real location and they kind of like have the wall to it in this movie right here's the wall we've got all the pictures and autographs from these people but like it's a real deal um, Holy shit! So I mean, that would that movie alone yeah, would be for, like make that movie say, and I'll watch yeah. that too. Yeah. When they talk about why the El Royale closed, that trouble with the commission. I was like, right. yeah. Well, wait, what? what? And then we just drop that. Right. Because, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. No, that's, I, I. Oh well, I was thinking the the Bob the commission. Oh well, that's fair you know. too. I I was just saying. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven thing. Right. No, yeah. for sure. That's exactly it. Is yeah, which commission? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Should we ask? Do we want to know? Oh man. This is going to be, like, on the, the, the mantle of, like, greatest hotels for a place to be set. Like, there's the Bates Motel. <laughs> there's uh, the Stanley Hotel, like, mm-hmm. in Grand Budapest. Like, it, it's an interesting setting for a place. Because we all yeah. understand how the hotel works, right? We understand that nobody, like, lives here. <laughs> that that it's, it's, it automatically kind of puts you in a transient space, which is a really interesting everybody is a traveler you know that that's you understand the location intimately and then this one has a twist of like it, it's a gimmick you understand a hotel has a gimmick because so many of them do it's like why stay here rather than the uh, motel six on the other side of the street because this one's fun and it's kitschy and it's leaning into it yeah reminds me there, there's uh in alamosa uh san luis valley um in colorado there's a, a motel that you can. There's a drive-in move or drive-in movie theater set up out the back of it. So I've it's heard like that a, one. It's yeah, like a yeah. movie motor lodge. So you yeah. go and you stay. No, I've been there. Yeah, I've yes. stayed there too. How is it? It's <laughs> it's, great. it's great. It's really fun. <laughs> it is. And like all the rooms are like movie themed, and they have like different wallpaper and stuff. Oh, well then no, I haven't stayed. You there. haven't been there. I. They might have re- redone. Well, there's a Best Western. No, because the one I'm thinking of has been a Best Western for decades. Gotcha. It's a Best no, Western. It's... it's in um, Buena Vista. It's near Great Sand Dunes. Yeah, that's. I think we're talking about the same place. Oh dang. 
They might have just Maybe. freshly yeah. organized it for us, but yeah. it was just. I think I watched. Was it the Jurassic World real, or something? Real movies. Like, Their first yeah. run. It's a properly working drive-in. Yeah. You can just go drive into. That's cool. But the buildings are set at a right angle, and then look across each other to the two screens that are showing two different films. And you can pipe in you the audio speaker from built in your room. Yeah. And just turn it on, and off it goes. <laughs> that's, that's cool. <laughs> It's great. Now so, I want them to have a murder mystery set in that hotel. <laughs> like, that would be cool. So to tie and to completely just be a downer here, <laughs> to tie uh, in another real-life hotel, motel, in this case. With Holiday Inn. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you started to be frustrated by that. It. You're like, I appreciate the reference. No, I liked it. Um, real-life motel that uh, has anyone seen or heard the story that broke kind of recently and then there was a Netflix documentary about it about the voyeuristic hotel in Denver on East Colfax or West Colfax somewhere on Colfax very long street but uh, (laughs) I think in the 70s the owner had put in like a catwalk above the rooms and like was just you know using it to look down on the rooms and it very much is like this Uh, there's a the documentary on Netflix is called Voyeur I think um, so that, that came up in my mind when I was watching this yeah. too, uh, just to uh, to make it again to be a downer and to make it very real and very creepy yeah. <laughs> that a hotel like that would exist. At, at, you know, I know that's a far cry from drive-in hotel. <laughs> no, uh, no, for, but, but, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's, well, that's another just, like through line through Psycho because Psycho is very much about the voyeuristic Norman Bates seeing her in the shower and mm-hmm. watching it from this this kind of I'm not supposed to be in here. That that. Mm-hmm point of view is very specific ah, that's interesting because that's the thing you're in a hotel you don't think about being watched because mm-hmm. it's th- this collection of rooms that the whole point of it is for you to go in there sleep and then leave you mm-hmm. don't think about See, that's, being watched I, there I read a, there's an artist Moby musician yeah yeah. he has an album a big double album called Hotel mm-hmm. and I read the liner notes for that at one point it was about how he was fascinated with these hotel spaces because everyone who shows up in them shows up and it's theirs and makes it theirs without sort of realizing or understanding or remembering, I guess, that it once it stops being theirs, it will be someone else's very soon, mm-hmm. and that it has already been thousands of people's. Mm-hmm. And that these spaces are, they are all things to all people, and like no matter how many people come through, it always reverts back to the same space, and then someone new comes in right. with no thought of what might have happened before. Right. And that's the thing, that you bleach the shit out of it, all the... Yeah. the, the bedding comes down like it's one of the most hopefully most meticulously clean spaces and most <laughs> antiseptic spaces when you enter it and his point is that it's also <laughs> it's also sort of socially antiseptic right experientially yeah. antiseptic right, right. That, that nothing nothing outside of the room exists right when you're in it it brings me back to mystery train again the idea that the um, uh, what's his name Jun yeah where he takes a picture of the hotel, hotel room. room. Yeah. It's because I'm going to remember all the stuff that's out there. Some the stuff that I forget is land. the hotel room. And that was yeah. really interesting, too, the idea that that space needed to... You had to make an effort to remember that space. Yeah. Which is interesting. And a great, great venue, if that can be a way to say this, a great place for murder to take place. Because it, it's washed away and the next person comes in no big deal. Like, that's... It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought of that before. How much of like a a common thread that is. Yeah, this idea of like, yeah, the hotel and what happens there stays there. You know, and and uh, 
you know, like when you were talking about the, the, the voyeuristic part of it, it made me think of another scene with like a bellboy in a hotel in, in a garden state when Method Man takes them in and like that after the argument, cool, I just saw some titties. <laughs> you know, like like that, that whole scene, I mean, it's a small part of it, but it's just like, oh yeah, like he's like the bellboy or, you know, or whatever. Is, is that what it's like? Do we still call it that nowadays? I know that a lot of those were bellhop. Bellhop, yeah. Like, Shrug. I think it's still technically, it's probably not what they fill out on their like right, what yeah. your occupation is. I don't yeah. know. Your W two, like yeah. desk assistant or right, something. Yeah. Like yeah. But that, that, well, that same sort of desk thing is a different job like from concierge. No, that's fair. It's a different yeah. job from bellboy. Bell yeah. yeah. Huh. But depending on the hotel, I guess. Right. Fair. <laughs> don't tell me you also do the food. <laughs> 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 and that little joke about he's housekeeping too, and everybody laughs. But right. later we find out that he has he, cleaned out these rooms. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, has he cleaned them out? Yeah. Can we talk about the wolf cuddling session for just a second? Like, that is, and it was that he, was he said it like he was going to go on to something else. Oh yeah, he ended on that one, and he like, gave us more detail. It's like went to bed with a wolf. What? I expected something says, to go right after. It's you know, like it wasn't sexual, but it wasn't it not sexual. And it was either. worse. It was almost worse. Yeah. Because if it had just been, oh yeah, this guy fucked a wolf, it would be okay, bestiality one of the list of awful things people cram into their films, right? Wolf, why not? But it wasn't. And that was so much worse, because it was like we were expecting, you know... There's so much backstory there, you know, as opposed to like, oh, I wanted to fuck a wolf, you know? We were expecting wrote awful thing number 685, and then we got... Never heard of. That's its own movie. I don't know if I would see it. How different would this movie have been if, you know, all the characters are there, and then a dude walks up with a wolf on a chain, and you get, like, that in the final battle? Like, the wolf when everyone's going at it? (laughs) The final battle. The wolf is there, too. (laughs) Like, an Avengers scene. That would have been a good twist. No kidding. And that's the thing. Like, I want to go back... I want to see this location again. I want to see the stories that happened on those other batshit times where stuff had happened. Like, with the wolf and the... the, Nick Offerman's character and then with the the senator and all like if all those things kind of came to a head at the same time like this did holy shit like that would be like the Stanley Hotel having its own like the Overlook Hotel I guess is the fictionalized version of it like all of the shit having happened there and it's now impregnated with this monstrous monstrous like aura that'd be cool Needs to make a trilogy out of it. Needs to be worst times at, at, at and worst times at the I'm on board for a good times. <laughs> we need some That's uplifting. The prequel. Yeah, the prequel. you want to see the Rat Pack right, era, yeah, like, like people gambling, having a good time, nothing bad happens. Uh, but with with the knowledge, like maybe Miles still works there, and you know that there's I the see court. Miles having a good time. That's yeah, fair. Give him a good day at work. <laughs> He wasn't expecting that when he came well, he to work He was having that a good day. day before anybody showed up. He was in the back, <laughs> strung yeah. out. Yeah. No, it's like a prequel where he like stays there with some friends. They all pitch in, get a room. He's like, I kind of like this place. Maybe I'll get a job here. And that's the guy. Like, no, <laughs> no, Miles. Oh man, Wh- whose son is that actor? Did you say Bill Pullman? Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Because he looked almost like Paul Dano. From yeah. There Will Be Blood. That's kind of oh, what I. Right. I was like, is that that? Kid? That's not that kid. I say that like Paul Dano's yeah. older than I am. I should <laughs> say, but. But yeah, no, that was, that was great. No, he had that that specific like impressionable face, like that was. Yeah. And I love that Jeff Bridges calls him kid throughout the whole film. Uh-huh. And at first we figure, oh, it's because this 
con man like either is trying not to get too close to mm-hmm. the kid as the priest he's trying to keep his distance or maybe he just doesn't care but eventually it's like well wait he wouldn't remember his name if he tried would he mm. that's fair <laughs> that was such an interesting part of that character because when he's telling Darlene that he has Alzheimer's and not so many words yeah I don't know going, if, eh, is it part do we of... believe him? Yeah, do we is, not believe him? Is that the facade that he's building? Yeah. And it was a really interesting way to deal with that condition. And they, they did make it a plot point, which is a little little clunky. Well, I was going to say, they, they sort of didn't. Because that, much like how we're waiting for someone to shoot Rosie, mm-hmm. but they don't because they haven't seen it yet, right. the other characters never actually find out whether he's telling the truth or not about the name. Darlene, Darlene has faith in him. Darlene does. But she has yeah. faith. That's all. He, you know, uh, uh, Hemsworth asks, you, and you believe him? I believe that much. Right. You know, but because we, she doesn't get to see the flashback right. like we do. But what I'm saying, like, at that moment, it's the most convenient time for him to have a lapse of memory. <laughs> What's for the real name? For the plot, right? Yeah. That, that, that was the one little but, thing. To be fair, I he mean, never the, said his real name in the entire no, film No, that's anyway. fair. <laughs> no, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, like... Mm making that product of that condition a plot point is not the best way to have handled that. Mm-hmm. But that being said, Jeff Bridges puts in a great fucking performance. Like you feel and that was the thing, I really wanted to like him through the whole thing. Even if he was like an axe wielding priest asshole. Like and then there's that moment like he's drugging her drink. No, please don't let that be the thing. And then he gets hit, he gets smashed over the head, and we oh he God. explains what it is, and that ends up being his actual motive. But still, that moment Ugh. was like, fuck this guy. Like, everyone no, in not. that film, except sort of kind of John Hamm, and I guess Miles to a point, mm-hmm. has done something awful. They go, go from villain to hero to villain to hero to hero to villain, back and forth, based on their portrayal, a lot. Because. Darlene's you know, always good, though. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Darlene's the over one, she's the moral center. And I have no problems with that. That's yeah. that's but, awesome. But Jayam is, is a dick to everyone that's until true. he's suddenly not. So, I mean, part of his cover, sure, yeah. but still an ass. Right. And then Emily, he tries to save the girl from Emily. But then it turns out Emily's the one saving the girl. Right. Yeah. But then Emily also kind of does bad things to people. Right. It's, oh, that was great. It's right. like, who do I like? And who are supposed to of that. <laughs> Uh, Which is almost episodic, too. When you think of TV shows, right? Think of Breaking Bad. In one episode, I like Walt. In the next episode, I don't really like Walt. And then sometimes I like Skylar. And then not really. And, like, everyone moves. But they do all of that within a movie. Like, in the movie, right? You start out liking someone. And then one little thing, and you don't. Like, they do a lot of character change Mm -hmm. within the time that they have. I think that's something a lot of people in general just need to... Especially when it comes to their fiction and their media. But that people and especially characters don't need to just be consigned to one side or the other. No, all for very, sure. The, These to, are all to, very full. To rant for a moment, up. the part that always bothers me is with Severus Snape and Harry Potter when people, there are the people who go, oh, but he's a great hero and the other people who go, no, but he's still a villain and it's like, you're you're both kind of wrong. The point is that he's everything, that people yeah. can be more than one thing. That the things he was, he was motivated to do good and sometimes did great things at great risk but that on the other hand he was also just a dick his whole life and that is not mutually exclusive and that's part of that's why he's such a great character that that that, you know she can spend six and you know seven eighths books of us hating him Mm. and then make us really feel for him 
in 20 pages. I didn't feel for him. <laughs> Dude deserved to die by a snake, in my opinion, but that's a whole nother thing. Sure, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you don't feel bad for what he went through growing up. You know? No, that's fair. Like, him that's being bullied, I mean. but, right. like... That it, that it, people don't just have to be lumped no, on one No, that's fair. Other, right? That's fair. I think that's more it doesn't have to redeem than anything else. That's... Good doesn't have to redeem a person wholly the same way that no. evil doesn't have to condemn them wholly. No, for sure. There's a really phenomenal movie called The Pawnbroker, um, which I, I can't recall. I... I watched it in one of my classes, and it's been a long time. I haven't mm-hmm. even laid eyes on the title gotcha. anywhere since. But um, part of the film is a Holocaust survivor who runs a pawn shop in New York okay. in the like sixties, you know, post-war. Gotcha. And he's God. He's one of the most horrible characters in film. But the other half of the film, interspersed, is his time in the Holocaust. Gotcha. So you go back and forth between hating this guy and feeling awful for him. Gotcha. And that film was such a great study of for the whole class. It really made us all, you know, rewrite the way we think of character gotcha. and good and evil. And that's what I, I sort of harken back to with my Snape reference and no, with El Royale, too. Yeah. That just there are all these people where when you start liking one, it shows you a reason not to. But then at the end, you kind of have to just weigh it all in your hands and decide for yourself. Because, you know, except for Darlene. Right. A curse on all your houses, basically. <laughs> You're right. right? There's, like, there's, there's no one to really easily just shove to one side or the other of the line. State line or good and evil line. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so. so you spend all this time seeing him be extreme crotchety old man to these awful these neighborhood kids, but then you see what happened to him and you see why he's this way, and then I yeah, it's gotcha. you know, well well balanced and well explained. It's a thing for a cast this big to do that level of character development across the board <laughs> is really really a testament to the the skill of the filmmakers and and the 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 actors like that they really pulled that off john ham could have ignored could have ignored the girl and just yeah. done his job yeah. right excuse me and just you know sampled the cars got the surveillance footage and got the heck out that's the thing you really you learn so much about him in such a quick time because you see him he, he's almost okay he's playing this stereotypical salesman and he's yeah. this way he's blustery he's rude and you get and then he's on the phone with his daughter and he's being a dad, and he's pulling out this listening devices. So you get so much of like that character, and then he's like yeah. going through, and he's seeing that the girl's kidnapped. He's like, I have a daughter. I, what would I? How would it feel if that was? I can't not do anything yeah. with that. Like that. That. Yeah. And that's the thing. When we got to we, I had said this. We we moved to another person's storyline. And I had forgot John Hamm was in the movie. Like, <laughs> like we had moved so far, and I was so invested in this new story. Because that's another thing about, we talked about this with Mystery Train, with kind of the piecemeal or like uh, uh, anthology films, if you get sick of one, you've got, your, your, you've got peace of mind because in 10, 15 minutes we'll move on to the next yeah. one. Mm-hmm. I never got that in this. I was like, I'm just so desperate for all of the information. Give me all you have. Sorry, I keep moving the TV. <laughs> yeah, but it, it just... Yeah. I never, I got, didn't get sick of any of the storylines. I didn't, I wasn't bored by them. It just <laughs> all the wiretaps he found out of every inch of that room. Holy crap! That was almost comical right. how much they'd wired the place. Yeah. <clears throat> which actually reminded me of um, that old film, The Lives of Others, which was I think mid aughts when that came out. Okay. Um, it was a takes place in East Germany slash East Berlin, one or the other, and it's a Stasi agent who wires a. a uh, screenwriter's apartment and listens to them and the whole thing's a you know cold war drama but well, there is a particular line like when they're ordering this agent to to wire the place 
like he asks what level of wiring they want, and they're like all of them, like literally all the no, wires. Do the top there. one, then do it again, then do the middle one, then the top one again, and then sure enough, at the very towards the very end of the film, when the wires are being pulled out, and I won't mention why. Oh my god, the whole apartment just falls apart. Like, you end up with no wall left and just wires everywhere. <laughs> it very much reminds me of that scene here with John Hamm. Just, oh, there's one here, and one here, and one here, and one there, and he pulls the wire up, and oh, there's another one. <laughs> See, that's a, like, I was thinking, like, Bond films. He finds one wire, one place, and he puts, like, a brooch over it, a gum over it to, to yeah. like, that's Sean one Connery level. fogs the mirror with right. the hot water, it's the hangs one his jacket thing. over the people, and then we're done. This, this was just another layer of surveillance in that Nixon era that was just, and wasn't, it's kind of a throwaway line, is like, less after the election, right? Yeah. Like, with... So, whose re- election? Because... Right. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Johnson? It's just really Nixon? interesting. <laughs> Another thing that, like, speaking of, like, with the whole John Hamm and the good and evil kind of thing, um, how so much of this never would have happened if he had followed orders and not done yeah. what he thought was the right thing. No mm-hmm. kidding. Between, like, Rose getting loose and calling mm-hmm. what's-his-face, you know, like, who, you know, she might have stayed tied up and they may have left, gone somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, what's-his-face, you know, maybe he would have gotten the money. Uh, Miles would have been shot in the face and right. then, you know, like later killed, you know, and it's just. Darlene like, would have been able to get away in her car after, like, mm-hmm. she'd be gone. She, like, none of that yeah. would have happened. None of that would have happened if he hadn't tried to right. save the girl. Yeah. But, and then yeah, it comes so down to a coin toss, too, again, to the game of chance when uh, oh. when Father Flynn is first picking yeah. his room, spins the coin, deciding oh, yeah. between four oh, or five because right. he couldn't remember which room it was in. If he would have ended up with. With, with the, the other room. room, yeah, it would have been, well, been, been a wrap right there. Yeah. Been out. <laughs> right? right. Then Darlene's fine, he's fine. Yeah. You know, maybe there's still some stuff with John Hamm and everybody else, but and poor I don't know, John there's Hamm. a lot of... Looking through, this guy's digging up the floor, right? This one, I think she's saying, this one's got a hostage. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what's in the next room? <laughs> For goodness sakes. That's the thing, like, he wasn't aware of the two-way mirrors the whole time. Like... They had tapped this location and were using it for surveillance, obviously. But they didn't know the extent to which it had been used by other people. That was fascinating. Which that, was like, crazy. Presumably, whatever FBI agent stuck that in the phone at some point, either did that before the other bugs were in place, right. or without noticing it somehow. Right. You know? And, oh, that was cool. That's crazy. I also like him sort of counting the steps... You know, be yeah, like, oh, yeah, it's longer mirror. outside than it and is on the inside. inside. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, okay. That's how he like, figured out about the mirror. You know, kind yeah. of knowing about that, knowing, you know, figuring, like, yeah, the length of it. And, you know, plus I'm sure with his knowledge, like, okay, that is a thing, you know, having a two-way mirror, you know. Yeah, great film. Great film all around. Just, again, it, that particular convergence of specific people yeah. is what led to all those events coming down. Cascade. It's just a bad, bad day. Everything that could go wrong Some went bad wrong. Bad times they had. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, way bad. The worst. So there was one scene that I I wanted to to ask you about Zeke. I you know if you've seen it a few times, mm-hmm. I want to make sure I first of all I saw this right and then I interpret it right. Is so throughout the the movie they show scenes of kind of um what's the older sister's name Emily Emily saving Rose from her father, you know, hide under the bed, no matter what, you stay under right. here. And then sort of seeing her go with this guy who, I guess, you know, we don't really know if he's abusive because she seems to kind of be all in, you know, so we don't know yeah. if it's this sort of... But 
I feel like there was a scene that kind of shows up towards the end where she's standing in a window and I guess it's her father kind of picks her up and carries her off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that sort of meant to show that like, you know, she seemed almost okay with it? Like, was she kind of twisted from the beginning where it was like her sister kept trying to save her from her father, but she didn't want to be saved. And that's why when she was with this guy, it's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's like with dad. Like, I don't want you to save me with him. I want to be with him. Like mm-hmm. I'm something's, not right in the head and this or or is it something that was sort of conditioned into her by her father like because she had that like a sexually abusive father that's why she wanted to be with a a person like that but but it was still sort of like her choice because it was what she knew and everything and that sort of you know returning to the abuser kind of thing um did, what, did I did I misremember like when I watched that? Is that sort I, of how it plays I, out? I like, remember seeing her, her when, being picked up. Yeah, and it was definitely like the younger one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I took it as the second one, right? Like conditioning. Um, yeah, and also just you know because that's that Emily they, was fighting for something that was never there. Right, and they show that after Emily's been she shot, shot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I I, I kind of took that as Rosie kind of reflecting on everything mm-hmm. and. I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know what, because you're saying she was kind of just looking on without really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in that in that yeah. scene, like she didn't look like, oh no, daddy's coming for me. She was, and and I guess that was part of it mm-hmm. is like I couldn't tell if it was like she's just numb to it at this point yeah. as a defense mechanism, or was was she kind of like I said, if if there was already something wrong with her before that, mm-hmm. where she was like, yeah, cool, whatever, you know, because um, it yeah, it didn't look like he was kind of chasing her and forcing you know i mean it, it kind of seemed right. like yep okay this is what's happening and she was just okay with it and like i almost got this sense that it was like this kind of dark thing where it was just like you know big sister you've been trying to save me this whole time but i don't want to mm. be saved and if that kind of rooted even back to you know even when she was you know get under the bed and stay there and don't make a noise you know like was that scene maybe even supposed to be from that same night where she was like no i'm not going to stay under the bed i'm going to come out and stand right. by the window mm-hmm. so dad can find me you know like like it was like what? Oh, it was, it was that one scene. It was like what? What? What is he trying to say with this? Like what is the you know? It's at that question. point, like Emily is seeing Rose not have any reaction to her death at mm-hmm. all. Right. Not even it, she. It it just passes. The only thing that seems to give her any joy is Bobby Lee, mm-hmm. right? Or Billy Lee. Billy Lee. Billy Lee. So in that moment, it's like, why was I trying? Like what? What? What could I have done for you? I couldn't have done anything. And. It's it's like, you. Despite my best efforts, Dad picked you up and took you and did whatever happened like that. Yeah, yeah. that that is, is this a, how it always ended. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a confu- confusing but like also ambiguous sequence for me too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, what so much, isn't it? It's just. Yeah. I was saying, Dallas, is we've decided to stop doing recaps, but now we've had three movies I can't stop thinking about. Right, <laughs> right? No, for sure. We're, we're hitting a stride or something. Yeah. Pressure's on, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, if you guys don't like The Fountain, we'll end up just talking about these three films. No, I'm excited for The Fountain, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thank you, so, yeah. Thank you, Zeke, yeah. so very oh, much for bringing this yeah. to us. No, so, I'm glad oh, I came across it when I did, right? I mean, because I was already stewing on trying to decide what movie to bring right what encapsulates me what are some of my favorites and then i came across this and i was like there's so much to talk about uh for me i think it was the most underrated movie of 2018 i mean it just flew under the radar and i think it's probably a top 
five, maybe top three of 2018 for me. So, yeah, happy to bring it along. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost a good thing we had to keep putting it off. <laughs> exactly. We would have had we this. Yeah. <laughs> My debut would have sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, like, I would have enjoyed talking about Space Jam or any of those other films with you, right. but I'm so glad we got to, because none of us had seen it. That, that was so cool. Yeah. Like, I was really hoping for that, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, you, Zeke, you didn't really talk about your, your movie tastes or, or any yeah, of that stuff at the, the jump. I, I know, having known you for so long, but uh, I mean, I, I kinda, you don't have to rattle off a, no, a favorites yeah. list or anything. Sure. Um, I kind of intentionally skipped it because oh, I didn't know how I to summarize gotcha. it. But Sorry. No, you know, you, uh, if you know, I'd like you to tell the world <laughs> oh, what Oh, shit, I, I, I overspoke. <laughs> no, you like specific directors. You're a Tarantino fan. You like... Um, uh, sports movies when they're yeah. done really well, like mm-hmm. the Longest Yard, the original yeah. and the remake. You both like you like Adam Sandler right. films. Um, you're a Marvel fan. Okay, yeah. You're you like DC it. characters too, but um, not so much the, the newer films. <laughs> so much you did like Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Um, Trying to think another subset. You you're you're the friend I go to to talk about Rocky because these two <laughs> fools haven't seen any of the Rocky films, and most of my friends haven't. Um, and you like Coen Brothers films, right? Yeah, the, Coen yeah Brothers that's another, another one, another yeah. one up there. And then some documentaries. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, you, you, yeah. Probably the friend that watched the most documentaries, and uh, that I know. But yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good summary. <laughs> you get everything that I couldn't have thought of. Tell so. me more about you that I don't already know. Oh wait. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you, sir. This was a wonderful yeah. time. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So it is time yes, for my favorite it. segment. <laughs> it's the situational movie recommendation segment. Yeah. It is. It is time for <laughs> another <laughs> situational movie recommendations. And Zeke has brought us a recommendation. Really? Topic. Oh my gosh! The best guest ever. Man, <laughs> so prepared. Wait, wait, have you though? Or I have. Yeah. Wait, John's oh, gonna listen yeah. to this. He's gonna be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> you'll just have to come you're back. Already, he was the only other. You'll you're just have to come back guest. and do better. You're like, John, come bring us more movies. We want more. All right. More like chopping mall. Yes. yes. I'm just vying for more, uh, more guest spots. Yes. So yeah. Bring Absolutely. me back. You have them. Yeah. Um, I feel like I threw a curveball with my movie choice. So I wanted to go with something a little bit closer to what I would have normally picked, I guess. So my question is, what movie do you watch to get ready for the big game or the new season? What sports movie? So I guess that can boil down to, like, what's your favorite sports movie? But to make it more situational, like, what is the one that you have to watch to get ready for, you know? (laughs) Exactly. For the next season, Super Bowl, whatever it is. That's a good question. It's a very good question. This is the customary five minutes of silence. <laughs> and typically, the person who brings the suggestion will answer first. Have okay. been, had the longest time to think about. Sure. It. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, this was a difficult one to answer too. I mean, because you've got silly sports movies, and you've got ones that are based on true things, and then you've got ones that are more real life like, but they're not necessarily based on a true event. Um, I could probably rattle off an answer for every sport. But I think the one for me that I have to do every year before football season, I have to watch Remember the Titans. I think that's, that's my one, good one. <laughs> movie that you know gets me ready for football season. Um, I thought for baseball, I mean, you've got like Sandlot and A League of Their Own, probably my two favorite baseball movies, and they also get re- me ready for the season. Um, but sometimes, I don't know, I, I can do those in the middle of the season too, right? Kind of a refresher. But for me, 
Remember the Titans is the one that I have to watch before football season starts. Gets me just emotionally ready for it. See, that, that's what up. I was going to say, because it has the peaks and valleys of a season. Right. <laughs> it's really sad and really uplifting, and like, yeah. there's always next year, but God, this was <laughs> an important year. Like, right. oh, that's that's a good choice. Oh. I think I'm only, I'm going to have to answer the hyped part of your question, because as far as sports movies, I, I mean, I guess it comes down to Happy Gilmore. Which I that just that is a great answer. answer. That's an yeah. acceptable answer. <laughs> that is. It, because, so in marching band, we would, um, for most all, all our trips but one, the journeys were definitely long enough that typical buses would have been a crime against humanity. So we had coach <laughs> buses with DVD players, nice. and our uh, director would just grab the inspirational sports movies, you know, and put them on. Good, bad, old, new, all of them. I mean, you know, one there, one back for every show we had every season. So I kind of, it just exhausted me on the whole genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember seeing a lot of them. I remember a lot of them being, oh yeah, that was pretty good, but I don't, nothing jumps out. I don't, I don't know why, I don't go seek those out. <laughs> you know, they were, they were a thing. God, marching so, band. <laughs> so I'll have to. Yeah, I didn't have an answer to you. So Happy Gilmore would be the sports, <laughs> the sports movie because I saw that one not in marching band. I just saw it and loved it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. As much as it's a sports movie. Yeah. No, it's yeah. the best sports movie about a former hockey player turned professional golf player. Of all played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sets the mark. No, it's absolutely one of my favorite sports movies. So I will you, accept that. If you yeah. want to toss Blades of Glory in there for the figure skating aspect, <laughs> you know, it gets you ready. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I'll go for that too. Um, so I, the, the, the real answer will be for a hype movie. Okay. But that'll, that'll take a few more minutes to think about, I think. Okay. This is a difficult one. Well, I'll, I'll go. So I watch zero sports. Okay. So I. So nothing. Yeah, no, you're not but, getting ready for the new right. season or the big game. Yeah. Um. But but Scott, when you brought up marching band, it kind of brought opened that door for me and um, drumline. So yeah, so drumline. Like, All right. There we go. So for for ten years, I actually me and a, a friend of mine taught the drumline at the University of Rhode Island for the marching band. And, you know, when that movie came out, I think it was probably like halfway through when we were teaching and we were trying to build this drum line. And, you know, if we started off, I think we had five people, the first drum line when we, our first year we did it. And we recruited some saxophone players. And, you know, um, I remember our drum line was so small our first season. We had no cymbals. (laughs) We had no cymbals. It was, I think, two snares, one tenor, and three basses. So what we would do for the Star Spangled Banner Ouch. is we would have a pair of cymbals on the sidelines and the tenor player would put down his drums. Like the band director always had to have him at the high mom spot on the 50-yard line on the sideline, put his tenors down, hand him the cymbals so we could crash the cymbals, the take them back, and then there was no, no cymbals anywhere. Yeah. So partway through, that movie came out. And it was a great way for us to kind of get the drumline pumped. You know, we'd have movie night. Yeah, yeah. I think at one point, probably when it was the theaters, we went to go see it maybe. Um, and it was just, it was really cool because there were also a bunch of like drum cheers from there that I'd like transcribed and we stole and we would start performing those like in stands and we were marching and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know that we necessarily, to be honest, like watched it every year to get right. pumped about it, but mm-hmm. it was definitely like, you know, the closest thing to a sport that I ever played was, yeah. was marching band. So that was sort of the one thing kind of related to that. You know, you would you would watch that and you'd get, you'd get pumped like, yeah, like, oh, you know, we should do stuff like that. You know, and of course, like, you know, a lot of the stuff the kids would listen to would be like, yeah, we want, we want to play that. It's like, no, you can't play that. <laughs> but like someone like, okay, yeah, you can play that. I'll write that one out. Okay, here you go. Here, practice. Learn this part, you know. And I think maybe to this day some of that stuff is still incorporated. But um, 
Yeah. So I guess there's at least some connection to sports that I yeah, have in my life. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, we're two for two. You guys don't know how happy you've made me with Happy Gilmore and Drumline. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Drumline is like bring it on for drums yeah. like that yeah. that's half time <laughs> is game time <laughs> no for sure it's a great revenge tale too like it's 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 a well constructed movie yeah. but I know Nick Cannon didn't play that shit that's not him oh man remember when he was acting <laughs> yeah. when you he mean wasn't Nick Carey just... <laughs> exactly that's what I was about to say I was like when his defining feature wasn't <laughs> being married to Mariah Carey <laughs> I wait so long to say that you guys are going to be on Wild that. and Out soon you guys are going to tear you up <laughs> <laughs> I wait so long to use that joke because like, Mariah Carey comes up all the time. I'm like, no, I can't say it. it's not Mariah Cannon. Like, that's not the joke. The right. joke is that he's Nick Carey. Uh, and oh. what does your husband do? <laughs> he's very lucky to have you. <laughs> as far as this is gonna be a weird answer, but as far as hype movies, a it almost is it's hard to apply because I I sit down for a movie as a complete experience most of the mm-hmm. time. So when it's finished, I'm finished mm-hmm. with the experience. I'm not going to go on to something. I'm just, the movie was done. I almost, I use TV more for hype because I'll take chunks out of it or moments or single episodes, you know? Yeah. But there is a movie that just makes me feel really excited. <laughs> it's Drive, okay. which is weird as shit, I know. That is weird. But <laughs> Especially it, on is, the is, end note of that movie. But that's exactly it, is that after everything that's happened, all the things that this character, this mysterious stranger, has just overcome... He gets back into his car and rides off to what's next, and it just feels so moving forward on the next next challenge, next thing, you know, that he's probably going to go look for peace, which he seems to have had for a while here at the beginning of this film, but that when what comes next comes, sure enough, at the end of it, he's going to be riding off again. Right. I don't know, I just, that feels, it has this sort of endurance, this, this, um, you know, long-term get through all the things that come feeling to it that moves me off feeling like I can move forward into whatever's gotcha. next. It's kind of like a high plains drifter feel, like he's yeah. on to the next town. Yeah, right. Certainly. Gotcha. Which is, is totally, admittedly, one of the inspirations the director used for gotcha. the film. Gotcha. So self-stated. Same director who did Bronson. Right. We might right, want right, to mention. Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for this. And Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. And uh, only God forgives. Right, that's the. I need to give a second watch. Yeah, so. we should watch Neon Demon again too, because I know yeah. you didn't like the end, but I want to see that. I yeah, you it. would like Neon Demon. Yeah, yeah. I still yeah. love almost all of it. Zeke, <laughs> so I think you'd like Neon Demon too. Not to disclude you. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Ah, this one's hard. For a movie I watch every season, Sandlot. Like, right. how mm-hmm. how do you not watch that? Growing up, watch that was baseball. That was that was that's why I, I broke down in tears when we got to go into the press box at Coors Field with John. Like that's the movie because right. you see him grow up and he gets to be a part of this sport he wasn't all that great in and he sees his best friend who ends up shepherding him through this this summer that's the hardest summer in his life and that's what baseball meant. Shout like, out Benny and the, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Greatest of all time. Yes. He stole home. <laughs> <laughs> it just that movie is so many things about my childhood, about sports, about friendships, about feeling like the, the new kid in a new place and trying to make friends. And it, 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 it makes baseball into this 
this family, this this entity that that it it supersedes just sport. What's up? Springboard <laughs> off of that. Uh-huh. My Christmas hype movie is a Christmas story. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's me hype for Christmas, and it plays on all the same. No, I said the same thing. When I watched the it nostalgia for stuff. the first time, yeah. I felt ready for Christmas after like, seeing that. Yeah, that Christmas that's hype. Boom. It's a springboard, and I mean, it, it more oh. than. And it's something I have to watch in the summer because mm-hmm. otherwise it just doesn't feel right. If right. it's cold out, that doesn't it doesn't work for me. Right. I know uh, snow days you're like snow, you have to yeah. watch in the winter. Yes. Right? Yeah. Snow day is like my day after Christmas movie. Having grown up in LA, you almost gave me a stroke with both of those. I have to watch <laughs> this in the summer or else it's not warm out. What? And then snow day. What? <laughs> right. Uh. But like more just like from a get pumped place. Anytime I come out of a Rocky movie, yeah. the next day I'm like, should I get up at 4 a.m. and drink Ooh, some yeah. eggs and go the out and exercise? Kid. Yeah, the, the first karate kid. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one yeah. And I feel like coming out of Rocky 3, you got Eye of the Tiger stuck in your head. You have right. one of the best training montages. It's before it, the whole movie is a training montage or a flashback montage. Like, that one has the most emotional stakes, I, I think. At Rocky's the the best version of himself in that one and you come out of it like he's he's oily and slick and he just took down Clubber Lang and it's a real like you come out of that and it's like it's it's like the height of Rocky at that point it might be Creed soon but right. like coming out of Rocky 3 I always feel pumped and ready like I, I need to work on myself and right. feel better <laughs> and I should be running on the beach with Apollo Creed be hitting sides of beef. I should be yeah. <laughs> lifting logs. I right. should be doing everything, yeah. chasing chickens. Yeah, <laughs> everything. Yeah, no, Sandlot and Rocky Three would probably be the ones. Okay. Yeah. I, I go. Yeah, and I, I suppose I did phrase that weirdly. No, the, no, the hype thing because no, I did one. mean more like the hype for a thing. But like, if we're talking just hype, then I would also like Rocky through Creed. You know, to like any any Rocky Creed movie, yeah, omitting five, obviously. <laughs> um, but any of those, right? You're just ready top. to go. <laughs> Wait, what? Replace it with over the top. Oh gosh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> that I've seen. <laughs> that's the one where he sings, right? Or is that the? No, that's the arm wrestling. That's one. the arm the wrestling movie. Okay, put the hat backwards. It's like a switch <laughs> turns into one of these. <laughs> Oh man, that's a good question. That Thank you, nice. like, yeah. thanks for coming with one. That, yeah. that's, thanks for course, making yeah. this whole episode for us. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you right now, I gotta follow this. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're delaying release to make all of us feel better. <laughs> no, that's the thing. Tim will try to follow us with the fountain. He'll fail. We'll replace him with Zeke. And that's it. <laughs> there we go. Got a new job. <laughs> <laughs> No, really, thank you, sir. This of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's the podcast that almost didn't happen. Since we <laughs> scheduled six months ago, it did, we tried then, it didn't work. Right. It was glad to have you on. It's, yeah, thank you. Really. Certainly hope to have you again soon. Yeah, sure. hope to be back. Yeah. Now my New Year's resolution is done. I'm, uh, I'm off the hook. <laughs> Happy 2019. That's all I had to Happy do all year. Happy <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, well, listeners, we hope you very much enjoyed this episode, as, as we hope you enjoy every episode. But we hope you, like us, enjoyed this one a little extra because of Zeke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. Seriously, yeah, I said that about eight times, but not <laughs> enough. Never enough. Yeah, and you can follow Zeke on Twitter, as he has the best Twitter handle of all time, at NerdsThatZeke. 
and oh gosh, yeah, just a little bit irritated over there. Little little plug for you, <laughs> little little irritated plug. This is next Thanks, year's buddy. resolution. Take that Twitter handle. No kidding. <laughs> Change my name. One. Take that Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be nerds that seek two. <laughs> But yeah, so check him out on Twitter there. Yeah. Uh, go check out his work on the Nerds That Geek website, which is, of course, phenomenal and Some constant stuff. and just shows up all the time as he continues to outpour quality and life improvement into everything he touches. I'm um, coming back because you say a lot of nice things. Good so <laughs> I, like, I like it here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we hope to see you back again soon, Zeke. Thanks. And uh, we hope you'll join us on the next episode, listeners. Until then, good night. Bye. 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 <laughs> hey, listeners, we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. We'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. Or if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Joel T18. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard, and on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more.